When I was in high school, I wanted to play soccer so bad to represent my school. And um, when I saw the postings for tryout, it said men's soccer. So I went to the school office as a freshman. I wasn't sure what was going on. So I was like, hey, secretary lady, can you please let me know when is the girls' soccer tryouts? Because I see men's soccer posted, but I don't see when the girls' tryouts are. And she said... There is no girls team, uh, there's only a boys team. So therefore, by federal law, you are allowed to try out for the boys team. Well, I wasn't trying to be a feminist. I didn't want to be the only girl on the boys team, but I just did really want to play soccer. And so I called together some of my fellow classmates that were also girls that we played on the same traveling competitive team together. And they said, hey, what do you say we try out for soccer? And the girls were like, I don't think there is a girls team. And I was like, yeah, that's my point is we can, what if we just go to the tryouts and try out and see what happens? So we go to the tryouts and I have on my shoulder my very worn and loved soccer bag with my cleats in it. And I kind of try to make a good first impression. So I just like jog up to the side of the field. I drop my bag and I look out at the men children that are on the soccer field on the team that 14 year old JL is going to audition for. Now I have been the same height, uh, five, two and a half since seventh grade. So I was five, two and a half as a freshman in high school, and I was looking at these fully grown men that had beards like Will and Sean and Joe, who were well over six feet tall, that had a solid hundred pounds on me weight-wise. Their thighs were like trees, y'all. And as I jogged up to the side of the field, I watched this one guy, and he was on the end line by his goal, and he just made a simple little chip, and he chipped the ball, that means kicked for the you, you don't play soccer, all the way to the opposing area where it gently rolled into the goal. I couldn't have done that for the life of me. And I thought, okay, okay, gonna have to bring my A game today. And, and the coach of the team, he apparently had never had girls come to try out for the men's soccer team. And it was obvious in the first eight seconds that he didn't want girls on his soccer team because he made the very first exercise we did at tryouts, he paired us up. And I was paired up with a six foot two, 225-ish pound man-child with the full-grown beard. That was my guy. And I kid you not, the task was to carry our partner on our back the length of the field while dribbling a soccer ball. Right. I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I am not good enough for this. I am never going to make this team. There is no way I am going to, I couldn't drag him across the, me and my four girlfriends trying, couldn't together haul this one man across. So then the coach decided, you know what we should do? We should have all of the team members who are trying out gather together at 5 a.m. in October, which by the way in Wisconsin is pitch black 
and let's jog through the ghettos of Green Bay for about five miles a day and see if we can't, I don't know, scare the girls off the team. And so day after day, night after night, I would go to bed with my legs on fire and my heart heavy, and I would think to myself, I'm not good enough. I am never going to be good enough. I can't run as fast as these guys. I can't kick as hard as these guys. I don't have the muscle structure in my body to be able to compete with. I am never going to be able to do this. I am not enough. And that literally reminds me of half the stories in the Bible. About half the stories in the Bible begin with a person an average everyday person who's looking eyeball to eyeball with their situation and is saying, there is no way, I can't, I'm not enough, I will not be able to accomplish, there is no way. Esther, she was called by God to help save her entire people group from ethnic cleansing. And when she heard about it, she thought, I'm, I can't do it. I must stay quiet. There's no way I can risk this until her uncle called her out on it. And, and Peter, Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. He was so afraid. He was so confident he couldn't do it. And Moses, when God, when God, when God, when God, when God, when God called Moses, Moses had a stutter. And he thought, there's no way I can, I can speak on God's behalf to the Pharaoh. But God called him anyway. Almost every great story in the Bible begins with a regular person who thinks in their heart, I am not enough. I can't possibly do that. And I know sometimes when you're sitting in the chairs and you look up here and you see the 4640 team, you, you might look at that and go, these guys are awesome. I don't know. But you know what? I remember Joe when he was 12, 13, 14. Okay, we joke about Joe is science Joe. We joke about the fact that he, he's a dork. But he's literally, was literally the dork. And, and we tease, we tease about, about Julie. But you know what? She was the marching band girl that did the, what did, you, what did you do? The drum major. She was in charge of all the marching band nerds. That is what she did. So maybe you look, you look up here and you think, wow, Will is so awesome. That's why God can use him. He is so incredible. Okay? Maybe you think that in your mind, but let me be clear. Will is very average. <laughs> when he was a teenager, when he was a teenager, he was very average. He got made fun of. He got picked on relentlessly. And, and guys, I'm not saying that to make fun of these people I love very much because I was the biggest dork of everyone. Absolutely. I was a Girl Scout until my senior year of high school and proud of it. Okay? I learned sign language for fun and choreographed songs with my friends that we did in the school cafeteria because we thought it was cool. Okay? 
we were all dorks. We were all average or a couple clicks before, below. There's nothing remarkable about the 4640 team when we were teenagers. We were just as scared. We felt the same as every character in the Bible. We felt average or lower, and I know what it feels like to sit in that seat and say, but I'm nothing significant. How is God ever going to use me? But friends, when you think those thoughts, let me remind you that that is every story of every character that God ever used in the Bible. In fact, it's almost a prerequisite for being used by God. But tonight we're gonna focus not on the story and adventures of Joe Tennyson, the seventh grade dork. We are gonna focus on a man in the Bible named Gideon. And Gideon was pretty much a wimp. He was very uncool in every way. And I wanna begin I want to begin with his story because I think it's going to highlight some really important things. We find Gideon at a time when the Midianites had taken over his homeland, a.k.a. the terrorists, okay? So Gideon and all of his people were hanging out, and suddenly the Midianites invaded his homeland with intent on destroying it. Now that's kind of hard to get our brain around, so I'm going to just, you know, modernize this story a little bit. And I want you to imagine that the state of Utah decides they want to move their border a good solid 50 miles east, okay? They just decide that one day. And they don't want to share. They actually want to take over completely and put their own Utah people in Grand Junction. They want the Grand Valley. They're moving the border. So now down the middle of I-70 rolls tanks, equipped with 50 cows, with Apache helicopters flanking on each side, and they are coming in, and they are going to annihilate. They don't want to commingle with us. They want to annihilate us. And we are completely unprepared. That's what was happening in Gideon's town. And so as the tanks come down, they just start blowing things up. They blow up the hospital, they blow up St. Mary's, they blow up community, they blow up city market, they blow up every grocery store in town, they light our schools on fire, they begin to burn everything around, and people grab their children and a few small possessions and run to the mountains. And so all of a sudden, us, the regular inhabitants of the Grand Valley, we're living in caves on the monument. We're hiding in the North Desert by the book list. We're scrambling, trying to climb up Lands End Road to get to the Mesa, to live in the woods. And we have very few possessions and very little food. And every time we think we could maybe get the upper hand, Utah just destroys it again, burns the whole valley again. And this goes on for weeks and months. There's some industrious people among us, and they're stringing bows together out of branches and twine, and, and they're trying to shoot small animals to feed their families and setting snares to catch rabbits or something. There's all kinds of people trying to, trying to just chase a prairie dog down and club it to death to get some meat for their family. People, people are trying to plant gardens, but every time, every time we get just even a little bit of traction, the Utah guys just release the Apache helicopters and blow up our little settlements. And this continues on. This is what it's like. We are tired. We are exhausted. We're, we're thirsty. Our children are crying and screaming. We're sleeping in leaves. And our whole community, as we know it, 
is done. That's what it's like to be alive in Gideon's era. And so Gideon finds himself hiding in like a valley of some kind, trying to get enough grain left over from the last raid to make some kind of sandwich. And he's just rubbing these grains together and he's just trying to like get something to eat and all of a sudden behind him, an angel appears. And the angel basically, I don't know if he sneaks up on him or what, but he scares the crap out of Gideon. And then he says, Gideon, God is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you talking to? You're not talking to, I mean, not me. Gideon sort of looks around to see who could this, who could this angel be talking to? Gideon, our hero, looks like a weakling. He looks like a wimp. He's hiding. He's afraid. He does not come off as a mighty warrior at all. But this angel shows up, so, shows up on the scene and calls him mighty warrior, calls him brave, calls him strong, calls him John Cena, and says, you are the one that God is choosing. And Gideon's response, Gideon replied in Judges chapter 6, verse 13, Gideon replied to God's, I'm choosing you, mighty warrior. Gideon goes, who, me? Who, me? Because Gideon in his own mind is thinking, are you sure, God? Are you sure? I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Are you, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, are you sure you're not looking for the guy hiding in the valley just down the corner? Are you... Who, me? Because in his heart of hearts, Gideon does not think that he is anything special. Gideon does not think there's anything remarkable about him that God could possibly use. But God faced him directly and said, go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I sent you? Gideon said to him, me? Me, my master? How? <laughs> and with what? Could I ever save Israel? My family, the poorest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least thought of in my entire family. Anybody feel like the least thought of? I'm the least thought of in my entire family. Gideon's saying, there's nothing special about me. I'm average or below. I'm Science Joe. I'm the drum, drum major. I'm the Girl Scout. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the dorky, quiet kid. I'm, I'm not, who, who me? I'm the least thought of in my family. Gideon is saying, hey, God, God, please, please let's get this right. If you're going to send someone to save us, like, don't pick me. I'm nothing. You should definitely pick my brother. Gideon's the youngest of eight sons, all of whom were described as strong and muscular and not Gideon. <laughs> I'm the least thought of in my family. Don't pick me. Pick my sister. She's way smarter. Pick my cousins. Their family has money, Lord. Pick, pick my 
my friend, she is popular. She knows what to say in front of people. She comes off kind of smooth and cool. You, you Lord, you, you should pick her. You should pick them. Why, why, I'm the least thought of in my entire family. And friends, I don't know what it might be tonight that makes you feel like you're not enough. But I want to call that out and say every character in the Bible feels like they are not enough. Every person in the Bible felt unworthy, but God is not limited by our feelings. He called them worthy even still, and he calls you worthy too. So God responds to Gideon, and God says to him, I will be with you. I will be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian. Gideon said, okay, if you're serious about this, do me this favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Have you ever felt that way? You're like, oh, okay, maybe. I mean, can you prove it? Can you, can you give me a sign? Can you prove it somehow? Because I'm not really feeling it. And friends, the truth is every person on the planet has doubts and fears. Almost every person on the planet wonders if they can do something significant or be something significant. And almost every person feels inside their heart at some point, even the cool kids, that they're not enough. And that is part of the human experience. But what is powerful and what is brave is when we be brave anyways. And what's powerful is when we listen to God in spite of how we feel. And what's powerful is when we decide that we can, in God's strength, do that right thing. Self-doubt and fear have, should never stop a child of God because he says you're mighty. Self-doubt and fear should never stop a child of God because he says that you are mighty. And I want you to know this, that you know this, that you know this, that in Christ, you are enough. In Christ, you are enough. The Bible says that Jesus is enough. The Bible says that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was enough. So I want, let's switch gears to math for a second. Jesus plus you equals more than enough. If Jesus is enough, plus you equals more than enough then, okay? Jesus by himself is enough, but he adds you, and it equals more than enough. And I want you to clearly understand this equation because there is no scenario where you can take Jesus, who is enough, and subtract yourself and end up being less than enough. Because it is impossible to subtract from who God is. Okay? So you can't change the math. It's not Jesus minus you equals not enough, and therefore you can just stay scared and average. It has to be Jesus plus cross, right? Jesus plus you equals more than enough. And, you, and if you hear nothing else I say 
Remember that you connected to Jesus are more than enough. And we have to begin to believe that we are who God says we are. We can't just be who we say we are. We have to be who God says we are. Now Gideon knew and was confident in God's strength. But he was still operating with the equation, Jesus minus Gideon equals not enough. He wasn't sure that there could be an addition. So, so he's scared. But he decided to obey anyways. And almost every great story, the main character is still afraid when they act. Almost every epic adventure in the Bible, in history, the hero of the story is still afraid when they act. But they act in obedience to God anyway. Fear is not a reason to not obey. Fear is real. Fear can suck. Fear can be strangling and crippling and all that. But still, even when we are afraid, we are responsible to continue to obey. So Gideon hears God say, go and save your people from the Midianites. And he's afraid, who me? And God says, go do it. He says, give me a sign. There's this back and forth. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to obey. And he obeys with fear. And that's okay. Judges 6, 27 says, So Gideon took his ten servants as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night for fear that the other members of his father's household, his older brothers, and for fear of the men of the city, for he knew what would happen if they found out who did it. So our hero obeys with an underlying sense of fear. Gideon starts to obey God. He starts to believe that he was who God said he was, but at the same time, he's still plagued with that, with that anxious thought of, I am not enough. He stopped listening a little bit to his own thoughts, but he didn't fully grab on to who God said he was. Did you know that your heart is just an organ in your body? It's not in charge of you. It's just an organ in your body. It's just a slab of meat inside your body. So, so many people will say, I just, in my heart, in my heart, I feel afraid, so I can't do that. My heart, I feel nervous. In my heart, I just know that I, that I can't invite my friend to church. I can't take that stand for Christ, because in my heart, I know, I feel, I'm like Gideon. Let's get real. Your heart just an organ in your body. So if, if, if you were wrestling with something, would you listen to your pancreas? What about your kidney? Your colon? Okay, your colon says, you're not that smart. You're gonna be like, oh, okay, well, if my colon said it. Okay, guess I'm not smart. Guess I have to go back to my remedial math and not take that risk because my colon doesn't have that much confidence in me. Anybody going to make that decision? But somehow an organ in our body called our heart tells us we're not that smart. We freak out. You're not that smart. And we go, I'm not, I'm not that smart. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I hate myself. 
doesn't believe in me? Please. Or a heart, you do not look cute in that shirt. It totally shows your muffin top. Okay? And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. I'm never eating again. Oh, I hate myself. If our heart tells us something, for some reason we think we have to believe it. But if our colon or our pancreas or our kidney tells us something, we would go to the doctor and get help. We'd say, I'm, I'm hearing things. <laughs> There's sounds coming from somewhere. It's not okay. I may be a little mentally ill somewhat. But no, our heart says something and we run to obey it. Friends, your heart is not the boss of you. Your heart doesn't know any more about you than your pancreas or your colon or your kidney, or your small intestine, your liver, your hair follicles, whatever. It doesn't know more about you. God created your heart and your colon and your kidneys and everything else. God created your heart. And if he says something about you, it trumps what your heart says about you. Your heart does not know more about who you are than the God who created your heart. Your heart does not know more about who you are than the God who created your heart. Yet so many people live their entire lives reliant on what their heart says. And the heart of humans lies. My heart lies to me all the time. My heart is deceptive. The human heart is deceptive and cannot be trusted. I, I love you all, but the, there is something that's jacked up. The heart lies to us shamelessly. And yet sometimes people listen to their heart more than they listen to the God who made them. And these emotions that come when we listen to our heart, it writes ugly on our soul. And that's why we have to learn what the Bible says in Isaiah 55. It says, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Our heart, our thoughts, God's thoughts way up there. We have to recognize that the way God thinks of us is the most accurate way. And the way we might perceive ourselves, we, we have to align ourselves with how God thinks of us. We have to begin to agree with God's thoughts about us. Psalm 139 says, every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish crazy love and adore me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your thoughts and feelings towards me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. I have a bowl full of sand. But God says his thoughts about you personally are more than the grains of sand on the planet. Every shore, every sea bottom, every lake, every golf course, every desert, all the grains of sand his thoughts about you are, are more. How many grains of sand are in this one bowl? A trillion? A quadrillion? I, I don't know. Right? 
And for every single grain, there's a thought about you that God has. Not about all of us together collectively, but about you. You are beautiful. You are smart. You are capable. You're super funny. I love your eyes. I love spending time with you. Oh, sorry, that was two. I can't imagine this planet without you. You're strong enough. You're powerful. One for every single grain of sand on the planet about you. And every one of God's thoughts are good and loving. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for peace and well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Each thought he has about us, there's not one negative thought. There's not one comparison thought, not one time does God reach in the bucket and go, oh yeah, she's not as good as her sister. Her brother's really funny, but you know. Her jokes don't quite land as well as his. There's no comparison as God thinks his thoughts about you. Each individual thought is of a plan and a thought for the future for you. God has had all eternity time past and all eternity time future to think these thoughts about you. And every single thought is a thought of kindness and a thought of love and a thought of hope and a thought of future and a thought of purpose, and a thought of plan, and not one time has God thought, but you are not enough. And for some of you to begin to hear the thoughts that God has about you, you have to stop having thoughts in your heart that are louder than the voice that God is speaking to you in. For some of you to receive the thoughts that God has for you, you have got to stop yelling from your heart nonsense about yourself. Some of you are constantly hearing the lie. So stupid. And I need you, God needs you to know and hear tonight, you are not stupid. You are not stupid. And some of you are hearing the thought in your heart, I am ugly. 
And God needs you to, to hear before he can tell you. He's going to tell you you're beautiful later. But before you can hear that you're beautiful, you have got to hear that you are not ugly. you got to hear it in the depth of your soul and you got to believe it. And some of you think, I'm so slow. And for you to hear what God wants to whisper into your heart, you have got to learn that you are not slow, that you are amazing. And for those of you who are hearing, I don't matter, God wants you to know that you deeply and truly and completely matter. For those of you who think you are not loved, God wants you to know that he gave everything for you. And if you think you're not important, he needs you to know that you are truly, truly important. Have you ever wondered what God, the creator of all the universe, thinks about you? Think about you. I want you to pretend for a few minutes that you and I are the only people in this room. Just you and me. Nobody else. And that we have all the time in the world. That we're not in a hurry for anything. And we could be here all day and all night and all the next day. And it was just you and me. And I wish that I had all the time to do that and then that I could sit with you individually and look you dead in the eye and speak to you, not everybody, just you, and tell you who it is that God made you to be. And I wish there was no hurry and no rush, and I wish I could take as long as it took for me to convince you what God truly says about you. And we can't actually do that that way, but I hope that you will just imagine that it's just me and you in the room. And I'm just speaking to you with the heart of our God, letting you know who God thinks you are and how much he feels towards you. And I would want you to know he would want you to know that you are loved. You are fiercely, fiercely loved. That he is madly, crazy, seriously in love with you. And he would want you to know that you are strong enough and you are smart enough and you are important enough and that your life matters and you are valuable. And he would want you to know that you are worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how much value he puts on you, that you are worth the precious blood of his son. He values you so greatly. He adores you. Thinks you're pretty funny too. And he loves you deeply and wholly and completely. And he would want you to know that, that he wants to be truly your closest friends. And he wants you to understand that you are a great kid and that this planet is lucky to have you here. And that he cares about everything, every single thing 
that happens in your life, he cares about it. And there's nothing, hear me when I say this, there is nothing that you can do, have done or will do that can make him love you even one grain of sand less. And no matter where you go from this room in your life, and no matter what you do, it will never alter, not one time, the thoughts that he has about you. Even if 50 years from now you think back on this night and you think to yourself, man, since that night, I haven't done that much with God. Now I'm old. Most of my life is wasted, my butt's sagging. I want you to remember, even that long from now, he didn't love you any less. Not one second of one day, any time between now and then. And even in that moment, you can turn to him and you can run to him and you can feel the fullness of that love again. That's how much he loves you. And God would want you to know, I believe that he created you just as you are, that he made you thick or thin. He made you black or brown or white, exactly as you are on purpose. He made your hair color and your eye color and he is thrilled with how you turned out. And maybe you look in the mirror and you're not so thrilled with your shape or your curls or your frizz or your straight. He is, and he regards you as his masterpiece. And he watches you from heaven, and he's been watching you all weekend long. Having fun with your friends, shooting each other in the face with the Nerf guns, playing with the Zorbs, he's seen it all. He's watching you eat dinner and laugh. And he's been crazy with excitement as you've worshiped and as you've prayed at this altar. And he's so, so proud of you. And Jesus would want you to know just how much you matter and just how special you are to him. When I was a kid, I thought being a parent was like kind of easy. I looked at my mom and my dad and I was like, cool. When you have a kid, you just learn a bunch of junk and you get really smart. And you know what to say and you know what to do. And you, I thought parents kind of like had the right answers and they always kind of knew what was going on. I'm gonna tell you a secret. And it's a secret that parents probably are supposed to keep to themselves and never tell kids and some of you are old enough to have figured it out. It's probably in the parenting handbook that this is a major violation, but um, here goes. When I became a parent, I realized I didn't have all the right answers. That there's a lot of stuff that I don't know what to do. And sometimes as a parent, I'm confused. I'm tired or overwhelmed or frustrated. And sometimes I'm just guessing my way through the day. And when I first held my sons and I, and I hugged them really tight, I hoped that God was like about to diffuse to me all my parenting superpowers. It would suddenly impart to me the wisdom and strength and right answerness that I would need. And I squeezed my son really, really tight. And all that made me do was fart. And I didn't get any smarter at all. And this is what I learned. 
And I want you to understand this. Parents aren't perfect. We don't have it all figured out. I know you know it, but I'm just admitting it in case your parents haven't yet. And sometimes the best is enough. And sometimes the parent's best is not enough at all. And if I had all the time and it was just me and you sitting here one-on-one, I would ask you your story. I would say, tell me what happened. Tell me what your family's been through. Tell me about your journey. Do you live with one parent or two? Do you have a step-parent? Is the co-parenting thing working or does it suck really bad? I would, I would ask you, who, who lives in your house? Do, do all the people you love get to live together? Because in some families they do and in some families they don't at all. I would ask you, is there, is there fighting every night at home or is it peaceful? I would ask you, do you feel slighted? Like your siblings matter more than you feel like you matter? I'd, I'd ask you all the questions and I'd listen to what you know is happening in your house. I'd ask you, how did it feel? How did it feel when you had to move in with your grandparents? I'd ask you to tell me about the nights DHS moved custody from your parents and put you and your siblings in different homes. Every story in this room is different. I don't know what is your story, but I want you to know this, that no matter who else in your life has ever failed you, God will never fail you. No matter who else in your life, by doing the best they can or whatever, whoever else at some point has failed you, hear me when I say that God will never and can not ever fail you and I believe that God wants you to know it's not your fault you didn't do it and you are wanted and I believe that for some of you you need to hear that the adults in your life are sorry the mistakes have been made and and if they could they would tell you they're sorry if they could understand what you were feeling they would apologize no matter what, you are loved and you matter to us and to God. And you aren't too hard to deal with. You're not too much. You're worth it. And I believe that some of you need to hear that you do not have to be perfect and you do not need to measure up to someone else, that you're not your brother or your sister, and that is a very good thing and you can do all things through Christ because you have an important mission and you are stronger and more powerful than you think and if I had all the time in the world I would say that and a whole bunch more as I listened to your story as I listened to your heart and I listened I would try to answer you with what the truth is from the Bible. Because I think there are too many in this room that are hurting and broken and they don't realize, and maybe you're one of them, that you have a Father in heaven who 
cares so much. From your seats, I just want you to close your eyes for just a second. Earlier, I said, for you to believe some of the things that I was gonna say, you, you might need to stop believing some stuff about yourself. I want you to think about that statement. To be able to believe some of this stuff I just said, you're gonna have to stop believing maybe some lies that you're in your head. You're gonna have to stop believing some of the stuff your heart is telling you. I want you to identify in your own self right now what that might be. What lie do you need to stop listening to? Try to figure out what it is. Maybe you need to stop believing that you don't measure up. Stop believing you're not enough. Stop believing that nobody is ever gonna marry you or love you. And I want you to try to figure out what that thing is that you need to stop believing. I am chosen, 
not forsaken And I am who you say I am And you are for me, not against me And I am who you say I am worthy And I am worthy, not unworthy For I am who you say I am And I'm loved, I am loved And 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 I am loved Let's come forward and sing I am chosen, not forsaken I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you I am and I'm not you say I'm not and I'm not do you say I'm not and I am and I am who you say I am and I'm not and I'm not do you say I'm not and I am who you say I am and I'm not do you say I'm not and I'm loved I am loved I am loved I am loved, 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 with the greatest of love, I am loved, with a love that never fails, I am Forsaken, I am who you say I am. You are for me. You are for So what can stand against me? Against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You sing it, declare it. You are for me. Not against me. I'm chosen. I am chosen, not forsaken. Yeah. I am who you say yes, I, I am. am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Sing, I am. Yes, I, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Father's house. 
on your clothes or the percentage on top of your math test. Your worth surpasses all earthly things because in the eyes of the Lord God, you are loved and you are worth dying for. May you be blessed with the protection of your heavenly father. He protects what's precious to him and you, my daughter, are precious. Like a diamond, like a 
rose or a pearl. You are the most stunning of all God's creation. You are worth more than you could ever imagine. To my son, may you be blessed with the courage and strength of Joshua, fiercely claiming the promises that God will give you your entire life. May you be blessed with the eyes to see that you are strong, that you are brave, that you are capable, that you have what it takes. May you be blessed with the wisdom that says your value does not come from your accomplishments. Your value does not come from your failures. Your value does not come from girls. Your value comes from your Father in heaven. And he says that you are more than enough. You are part of the Lord's most valuable creation. And may you be best blessed with ability, with potential, with gifts. May you be blessed with talents to share with the world, talents that will change people. You have joy to spread. You have jokes to tell. You have kind words to give. And you have wisdom to bestow. And that joy, that wisdom will change people. You are full of amazing qualities, traits, and virtues. More of them than you could ever imagine given to you by the Lord who loves you. My son, my daughter, regardless of who you may think you are, the reality is that you have been blessed with the responsibility and a power inside of you, a power that was formed from before the beginning of time in a secret place by the God of the universe. And there is a man or woman inside of you that each and every one of you that's willing to burst forth and change the world. Be blessed by that person. There's a person inside of you that loves, that encourages, that comforts, that shares, that teaches, that laughs, that cries, and that builds up those around them. That person is where your strength lies. That person is where your potential lies. And that person is where your gifts, your talent, your courage, your ability, and your joy lies. And your responsibility as a son, as a daughter of God, is to find that man, find that woman inside of you, and set that man and woman free. May you be blessed. The Bible says in Numbers 6, 24 through 26, may the Lord bless you and take good care of you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. So students, we pray that God blesses every and part of your life. May he take good care of your body, making it grow the way he created you to be. May he take good care of your mind, giving you thoughts, guiding you to make the right choices. May he take good care of your heart, protecting it from heartache and pain, while giving you joy that no one can steal away. I pray that you can always feel the love of our King Jesus. I pray that you can feel God smiling on you wherever you go. If you feel depressed, let his smile make you feel joy. If you feel anger, let his smile keep you calm. If you feel alone, let his smile tell you that he is right beside you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. I pray that God blesses you with his favor. I pray that your parents and your coaches and your teachers and your friends and your siblings and anyone in your life who will love you and they will see you for the way that God does because he created you perfectly 
in His image. You are created in the image of Jesus Christ. And when life gets hard, and it will get hard, and tears will come, I pray that the God of this universe will be so close to you. I pray that His peace that surpasses all understanding will be all around you that he will be your ever-present help in time of trouble. I pray that his Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, will be your comfort. And I pray that you hear him tell you, it's gonna be okay because I am always, always with you. Bless you, students. Bless you. Bless you, daughter. Bless you, son. Bless you in the name of Jesus Christ.
Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.